So uh, my name is Nick. As I said at the beginning, I'm the curator of the Open Table, and we're kicking off our series on welcome tonight. And we're going to spend the next six gatherings beyond tonight engaging in dialogue about what offering welcome actually looks like. <clears throat> we're going to look at ways that welcome has been done well and ways that we have missed the mark or fallen short. We're going to be looking into ways that we've either consciously or unconsciously <coughs> excluded people while still proclaiming proudly that we welcome all. So we're going to delve into that contradiction. But why don't we do this to start? Um, we're, gonna, we're, we're a place that encourages dialogue and loves to get folks talking back and forth. And so why don't we get into groups of two or three people? And I'd love for us to spend the next couple minutes answering this question. Who do you think feels unwelcomed? Who do you think feels unwelcomed? That can be in our world. Uh, it can be in our country. It can be in our city. It can be in the church. It could be in our social circles, but just answer the question, who do you think is unwelcomed in our world and why? So why don't you break up into groups in two or three and just have that conversation and we'll come back and I'd love to hear what you guys talk about. Okay, so uh, I, I know you probably are still chatting it up. But I'd love for us to come together. We're going to have another time to, to chat about this stuff. But I'd love to hear what folks uh, came up with. Just feel free to raise your hand and I'll, I'll call on you. But I'd love to hear what you all talked about in your groups. We talked about undocumented immigrants. Yeah. Yeah, undocumented immigrants. Mm -hmm. And did you talk about why, the, the why behind it, or did you... Yeah, yeah, for sure. We mentioned that, and then also about like immigrants who are in the country legally, also, but still feeling that unwelcome of like, but I'm not actually welcome. I got in, but mm. I'm not actually welcome here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So legal immigrants, like they got in, but still, there's probably some of that residual stereotyping that kind of goes on. Well, Mm. So how does that work? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Who else? Yeah? I work in a high school, so it's a little different, but I get to see on a daily basis things like this. But I think high schoolers find safety in, in being part of a group, but also they find self-esteem in, in not only being part of a group, but being part of a group that excludes others. And so they feel <coughs> like important to be part of a group that it's, uh, it's not welcome at all, everybody, mm. to some degree. It's almost like tribalism or something uh, happening yeah, in high school. Well, that's, uh, that's a high school thing. I think it's, in some ways it's kind of a microcosm of, of the adult life, but it's, uh, maybe it's less obvious. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, I think street people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> someone, someone being faithful to a church, uh, maybe sleeping on the streets and uh, just not experiencing a welcome, even though they were faithful to this community, just definitely excluded amongst certain, <coughs> certain folks in the church. Yeah, that's great. Well, these are all 
really fantastic things. And I, I thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I think it's really important for us to discuss who is and who isn't welcome in our society, especially on Palm Sunday, which is the day that the church remembers Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. Um, it's an entry that started with a real hearty welcome, but then eventually led to Jesus's arrest, imprisonment, torture, and execution. Uh, and so I wanted to start tonight by uh, reading about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And Kevin uh, is gracious enough to read that for us. When they neared Jerusalem, having arrived at Bethpage on Mount Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Go over to the village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there, her coat with her. Untie her and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you're, what you're doing, say, the rabbi needs them. He will send them with you. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet Zechariah. Tell Zion's daughter, your sovereign comes to you without display, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a pack animal. The disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, and Jesus rode. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them, threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed, all of them calling out, Hosanna! to the heir of the house of David. Blessed is the one who comes in God's name. Hosanna in the highest. As he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. Unnerved, people were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? The parade crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. Thank you. So we just read a passage about people welcoming Jesus as he rides into Jerusalem for the first time since his ministry began three years prior. And right off the bat, we have a few observable facts that fit neatly into this idea of a really warm and good welcome, right? Um, we have crowds of people running out to welcome Jesus as he enters into town. Uh, they lay down cloaks and palm branches, just like we've done here and they sing songs. The whole scene seems really joyous, right? But if we look again, there are other pieces of information that when we consider it, it begins to make this joyous procession seem a little bit different, a little off. It paints a slightly different picture. And first, it's the fact that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. So I don't know about you, but when you think of a leader riding into the capital city, uh, I, would, I would think that the leader, the person in power, would want to ride on something that um, speaks to that person's strength, right? A, a war horse. I, I don't think a donkey is the horse of choice for folks who are in power. Um, <clears throat> and uh, uh, the, the donkey, of course, is a sign of meekness, right? Like as it says uh, in Zechariah, which is the prophet who was quoted in this passage, but then we also have the crowd's response to Jesus' ride. Uh, they are singing and uh, proclaiming Hosanna, which in the first century was actually a royal proclamation. 
So not only is Jesus riding in on a donkey, but we have these people uh, shouting royal proclamations to someone other than Caesar, which helps us make sense of why the city responds in the way that it did. In verse 10, it says that as he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. It was unnerved. And the people started asking, what's going on here? Who is this? So the whole city was shaken and unnerved. And why is that? At this point in time, plenty of people in Jerusalem would have remembered the many armed revolts aimed at removing the Roman occupiers, that this wasn't their first rodeo. So when they see Jesus riding into town like a king and people singing royal proclamations, laying down their cloaks and their palm branches, it would have raised a lot of eyebrows in Jerusalem. The people in the city would have felt the tension in the air because this whole royal procession was a slap in the face to the Roman occupiers. And I'm sure that people in Jerusalem were wondering how this is going to sit with those who are in power. Now, it's also important to take a step back and think about people's expectations of Jesus. What were the expectations of folks throwing down palm branches and cloaks? In the first century, people were definitely ready for a Messiah, a savior of the Jews, to return. And many thought that the Messiah would claim his throne by fighting Rome and violently overthrowing the occupiers. Then God would reign from on high like King David did. But that's not exactly what happened. Because what happened next was Jesus went into the temple, which is the religious, economic, and political center of Jerusalem. And what did he do? He destroyed some property. (laughs) He, uh, He flipped over some tables and he ran out some of the money changers because he saw all sorts of corruption happening in the place of worship in first century Judea. And I think it was those two acts that set into motion the final plot to arrest and eventually execute Jesus. But even then, Jesus didn't act the way that many thought that the Messiah would act. During Jesus' arrest, Peter pulls out a sword, and chops off the ear of a Roman centurion. And how does Jesus respond? He responds by reprimanding Peter for using violence. And then he bends down (laughs) and grabs the ear and heals the centurion's ear. Later, shortly after Jesus' arrest, he's having an exchange with Pilate, the Roman prefect. And in the middle of this exchange, Jesus says this, My kingdom doesn't consist of what you see around you. If it did, My followers would fight, so I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But I'm not that kind of king, not the world's kind of king. So the people, the crowds who were once cheering Jesus' triumphal entry in Jerusalem, now withdrew their welcome. People were on board when they thought they knew how Jesus would act, but when he didn't fit into what they thought the Messiah should look and act like, they went from being supporters of the revolutionary Jesus to the crowds that were shouting, crucify him. And this is a clear example of a welcome offered and then withdrawn. So earlier we discussed who is unwelcome in our society and social circles, and we began to unpack why we think that is. And I'd love for us to take this a step further. I want us to explore expectations. Uh, What expectations do we have, either conscious or unconscious, that we place on people in order for us to extend that warm welcome? And what happens when people act outside of what our expectations are? At what point do we switch sides and then withdraw our welcome? So what I want us to do is, uh, in our same groups, I want us to think on these three questions. So one, think of a time when you thought you were welcome, 
but then realized you weren't. What did that community look like? What were the characteristics of that community? What were possibly some expectations that you didn't realize were there, but actually were there all along? And then once you became aware of it, you realized that you didn't actually belong. On the flip side, think of a time people offered you a welcome and they actually meant it. Like, what did that welcome look like? What was the difference there? Like, what was it about that community that made you feel safe? And the last one, just for good fun, think of a time that you tried to welcome someone, but it didn't turn out the way you envisioned, right? So did that experience change your welcome of a particular group of people? So that's a lot of questions. And uh, so what I'd love for you to do is pick one of these three questions. Each, each individual person, pick one of these three questions that, that speaks to you. You're like, ah, I, I want to talk about this one. And uh, get in your groups of two or three and just share from the one question that, that you have pondered. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll hear some stuff again. Okay? Go. All right, let's, uh, let's come back together. I would love to hear maybe from some folks who haven't spoken yet. Um, I, I would love to hear folks' responses to e any of these three questions, really. So just let us know which question you're talking about and go for it. I'll take it, number one. Uh -huh. when, you, when you're in that kind of an environment that it, it can be very oppressive and it can cause you to lose confidence and cause you to question everything you've ever known in a sense of um, uh, walking even in whatever faith you're practicing. Mm -hmm. And that's really kind of big because you identify with your faith in a lot of ways. So, you know, when you go through that, it's very painful. The mm -hmm. rejection is very real. Yeah. And sometimes it can take a long time to get over. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's like almost some of that like, oh, you're almost there, but you're just not quite getting it. And then that can just wreck you. Yeah. Thank you. Somebody else? I'll go. Yeah. Because I'm dealing with number three is what I told the ladies. Yeah. Um, I extended a welcome. I withdrew it mm -hmm. because my boundaries were crossed. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm still having to deal with this person because I work with this person every day. Mm -hmm. um, I've become physically ill because of this person. Mm. Um, well, my body reacts to that. <laughs> I yeah. Blame it yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. So if there's still a question of how can, how can I be like Jesus when... <laughs> I mean, you know, I've... I've spoken truth, I've presented my boundaries, mm -hmm. and I've, I've taken up the welcome mat, and yet this person continues to try to make me put down the welcome mat. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. And that's a tricky one, right? Because I, I mean, because I realize that that question is potentially problematic. You know, even in nonviolent communication, the idea behind nonviolent communication is you observe uh, you state your feelings, you state a need that you have, and you ask a request of the other person. And if you're not prepared, if you're not in a space where you want to entertain a request or can handle what that other person is offering, the only thing you can do at that point is withdraw yourself, and that's totally good. And there, there are many situations that I can think of that that would be totally good to do. Uh, 
and yet at the same time, it's like, okay, what, what do we do? How do you move forward? And it's like, it's messy. Like, do you ever engage with that person again? Uh, what, what does this look like? You know, how, how do I, how do I begin to repair? Is repairing even a thing that should happen with that particular thing? Yeah, it's, it's tough. But have, for you, have you noticed that it's, it has it, has it been localized to that one person or has it affected anything else? Or is it just localized to the one? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was also thinking about the question three, and um, like I feel like there's so many examples of this in my life, but I'm thinking of like some of the stories I carry from some of my girlfriends that like were dating um, and like opened themselves up to men, um, like just really wanting like to be in a caring relationship and then we're victims of sexual assault or even in a friendship or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the way that they close themselves off after experiences of rape or anything along those lines and that just kind of creates this, um, men are now unsafe and I have to protect myself always. So, but I think that that, I, there's just so many examples of the, the ways that we draw lines between us and them and that one experience or those stories can lead us to say, like, I'm going to have to be on edge because that's the, like, you know, quote unquote, smart thing to do, Mm -hmm. to be aware, which, I mean, in the story, like in the case of these women, yeah, like, absolutely. But it's just so unfortunate that creates this, like, barrier Mm -hmm. to seeing the humanity of someone else. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And, that, and that's another one of those examples where I'm like, oh, ah. yeah, because that's like the last thing we ever want happening ever to anyone. And I mean, what do you do? Because it makes total sense why you would shut, like draw that hard line in the sand if that's been your experience. But at the same time, like, how do you, na- how do you navigate that? Like, it's really murky kind of gray area. Yeah. Uh, maybe one more. Is, uh, no one's spoken to number two. And we, we've had a couple on number three, so either one or two. Anybody who wants to speak to that? Yeah. I can talk to number one. Yeah. We tried going to another group called Oasis. It's for non-religious people like us. And it's a great group. They, have, they offer great things to people who need certain assistance. But there's, we didn't ultimately feel welcome because they haven't figured out what they are. And so mm. when they don't know who they are, it's hard for them to tell you what they are so that you know if it's the right group for you. Mm. Yeah. So like the lack of vision is, yeah. Yeah. okay, so it's like everything. And so right. what's and the thing that's bringing this all together? Stand for nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Okay, so, uh, so some of the questions that I'm excited, the, the, one of the reasons why I'm excited for us to do this series is there, there are a number of questions that I even think about that I'm, I'm really pumped to explore with everybody over the next six weeks. Um, so it's like, you know, how do we reconcile our own limited welcome with the kind of welcome that Jesus offered? How can we condemn those deemed unclean in our day when Jesus completely flipped and upended the social order in the first century? Are we proclaiming a welcome of all, but then withdraw it when someone fails to assimilate with the already existing culture that they're joining into? And should people even have to play the monoculture game? Or do we believe that all people should be able to be welcomed and not have to abandon their own cultural experience? Do we withdraw our welcome when we have a bad experience with someone? 
And I, I, I think we as people, we just got to recognize that we want clean, clear boundaries. It is nice. It is easy. We can sleep well at night. Uh, and, and these kinds of boundaries are the kind of boundaries that say, like, you can come along as long as you look and act the way that we expect you to as this group. But the far harder thing to do is to do what Jesus did, which pushes us into that gray area where community gets really messy, but where all are actually welcome, free of hidden agendas and unnecessary expectations of things like assimilation. And so I'd love to close uh, with a story. There was a church in the area that did a series on sexuality uh, maybe a number of years ago. And as a part of that series, they discussed homosexuality which, of course, is a hot topic in the church. Um, Just so you know, our community, The Open Table, is open and affirming to LGBTQ folks. Uh, But there are members of that church who were in same-sex relationships, and I can't even begin to imagine how it must have felt for them to sit through that series, Um, how stressful that would have been. And this church said some really, really great things. As I personally listened through this series unfold, I was really glad that they said things like how the Bible doesn't actually speak to same-sex monogamous relationships uh, because that wasn't a thing in the first century. <laughs> there, was no, there, was, there was no worldview that had that in it. And, and so we recognize that we as a church have to do our own contextual work today. So that's great. They also mentioned how the church should be able to remain in communion with one another, not split apart, despite having differences of of opinion on a topic like homosexuality. So those things are great. I totally can get down with all that. Then, at the end of the series, the church leadership didn't pick a side. They didn't make a stand for or against same-sex relationships. So if a person who is in a same-sex relationship was sitting in that sanctuary hearing that message, how do you think they would feel? Would they feel safer? I kind of doubt it. I would imagine that they would feel unsafe after that conclusion was reached because the issue has now been raised. It's fresh on everyone's mind. People are talking about it uh, throughout the weeks that that the three-month series happened. And who is this person supposed to talk to in the church about their relationship? They don't know who's safe or unsafe. And I'd like to think that the safest thing for them in that moment is just to show up at church if they're going to still do it, but leave this major part of their life, their relationship with another person at home, away from the church. I mean, think of all the ways that we have gotten the chance to like sit down and chat like, hey, what, what are things that are going well with you? How, how are things going? You know, talking about the goods and bads, and then you, you don't, like, and to not have that as an option is just something that, that hurts my heart. And I think that is a way that we welcome someone and then take that welcome back. You see, Jesus upended and challenged the social order of his day. He healed the sick, helped them reintegrate back into the villages that they came from. He had different kinds of good news for the rich and for the poor. The rich were invited to practice justice and move out of isolation. Uh, And the poor were invited into a family and given a spot at the table where there formerly was not a spot being offered. He stopped the stoning of a woman who was being prostituted. He dined with tax collectors. He said to love your enemies, and he went ahead and modeled it for us. These are some of the ways that Jesus pushed the first century world to be a more inclusive society. 
And it was that push to include and not exclude that has led to the church continuing today. So the question we need to ask ourselves is whether or not we think the circle has been drawn wide enough. We have to decide whether or not we think the work that Jesus began 2,000 years ago is done, or if we still have that same kind of work to do today. Jesus made a habit of meeting people where they are, which made for some messy and beautiful opportunities for community. And my prayer for this community, for the open table, is that we would be unafraid to challenge ourselves and others on how we can join Jesus in this work to expand the circle wider and wider and wider, extending a more inclusive invite so that more are seated at the table of God's community. So two years ago, when we started at the open table at our very first gathering, we closed with a mantra that I realize fits really well here. And the mantra is this, have no fear, you are welcome here. Have no fear, you are welcome here. Have no fear, you are welcome here. May we be that kind of community. Amen.